Welcome to Experience Means Business, a podcast by Adobe Professional Services. Get your bi-monthly scoop of digital trends, strategies, expert insights, best practices, and much more to keep you moving on your digital experience journey. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. This is your host, Ankur Merotra. I am a senior multi-solutions architect with Adobe Consulting Services, talking to you from Cologne, Germany. And with me is my colleague, Julian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. I'm very happy to be the host today to discuss important topic related cookies. A short introduction on my side. I'm at working at Adobe and Ghostcode from Munich. And uh, before joining Adobe, I had several roles that could legitimate the discussion we will have. Um, I worked at Criteo, so one of the first base companies that did retargeting. I work also as a SEO and SEA consultant. And then I moved toward the analytics side of things and the more technical side of this as the web analytics owner for a company named Zooplus. And then I joined Adobe, where I'm now data architect uh, leading uh, experience platform projects. Thank you, Julian, joining us directly from Munich. So today's topic, you know, uh, this is about cookies, right? So we have been talking about cookie-less future, death to the cookie, and we have been discussing this for over two years now. My question is, is this all really a hype? I mean... This has been constantly in the news and what exactly is going on there? What do you think, Julian? Yes, Ankur, you're right. It's been on the news for quite some times because the whole industry and the whole ad industry is relying or was relying mostly on cookies. And due to the recent announcement from Google removing those third-party cookies, we get a lot of discussion going on on how to solve that problem. We will discuss that in more detail, I guess, later. But this has been the news that has been following us for quite some years. As we are discussing right now, I think it's a very good day to do this podcast because the last week, uh, Google announced the postponement of the dates again. So it was originally planned to be in 2022. Then it has been postponed to 2023. And now it's postponed again to 2024. So we are seeing this discussion going on for quite some time. And it can be worrying. We'll discuss that. But I think we'll find a way out for many people and for their use cases. Hold on. So, you know, when Google has already moved this date multiple times, should anyone be really worried? I mean, kind of means they don't have an answer and they are trying to solve problems for everyone, I guess. Should anyone be worried then? Yeah, that, that's correct. They, the reason why they are moving uh, this date along is that uh, you need to realize that most of Google revenue is based on the ads. And as any ad industry, Google rely on the third-party cookies a lot. That help them build the whole system and ecosystem around their revenue. So they will not discontinue this out of the blue and without a clear replacement on how they can solve that for their business model. Most likely, Google never wanted to do that in the first place. So it came from the announcement of Apple and then followed by Firefox that they are removing third-party cookie tracking or at least limiting it very strictly. And that was, as I said, the main reason how Google economy or business-related ads are being flourished right now. So Google was forced to follow the consent approach of Apple and Safari. We can discuss that a bit more uh, later, but then they need to have a good replacement before completely phasing out the third-party cookie IDs. 
And it's a very good point that we are talking about third-party cookies ID because maybe we want to dig a bit deeper about what type of cookie we want to discuss now as not everyone is impacted the same way depending on the use cases. Sure. I think before we go there, I have one question and this is something which I believe some of our listeners would also have. How did we get here in the first place? Why are we relying so much on cookies? What happened? Oh yeah, that's a long story. Come back to the web. So as time passed, the web got more and more structure, but for a very long time, there was the problem of saving data for your application that is running on the web on internet. So the common way to do that was to rely on a, a very small text file that is allocated to a specific domain, to a specific uh, website, and you can save there some elements uh, for your application. So your logging data and uh, all of those uh, information that are required for the website to work. The thing is, there was no limitation for who can write that as long as they have access to your computer or to your browser. So anyone that have access to this specific web page could actually write information. So of course, there is the main domain of the of the web page. So if you are on the on Adobe website, the adobe.com domain can set some information. But for a very long time, if there was some script implemented on the website that are actually related to Google, for example, or to Apple, those domains could also say, yeah, I have actually access to that browser because Adobe implemented me on their page. So now the user is looking at Adobe, is also looking at Google, then I can save some information about that user. And that's what was called the third-party cookies, third-party website that were actually loading information into your page via script. And this was a very convenient way. And most of the time it was actually useful to have this kind of information. They have some very nice feature from it. You can actually follow the users through different domains. If you imagine if you have multi-domain entity, you could actually keep the same identification around the journey. And that is very convenient. But with any technology that is brought to the new space, it's mostly being used for making money. And what making money in the internet world was, it is ad business. And it was used a lot and a lot and a lot. So this was the main relying party. So I, I, I know that very well. When I joined Criteo, it was in 2010. Then there was this uh, in place to use for retargeting. But that type of business was actually the catalyst to change the behavior of the user. People get annoyed that actually you could not go anywhere on the website without being retargeted. If you see something, Krito could say, oh, I'm actually seeing that Julian, I've seen this Photoshop product on Adobe page and I want then when he's going to another website, I want to show him that actually you could still have this Adobe Photoshop product available. And that is very annoying. It's imagine that you are going to a shop, you're looking at something, you're going to another place, to a cafe and someone coming to you and saying, oh, I've seen you in the shop. No, please have a look again on my product. So this is very annoying. And all of that has brought up this consent management that we have now, the GDPR. It's a lot broader topic about user privacy. And for that specific privacy management, mm -hmm. Apple and Firefox, as I was saying at the beginning, were the first one to introduce the fact that, okay, third-party cookies are not allowed anymore, very much restricted on the website because 90% of their use cases are just for retargeting of ads. And that is a business and it's annoying customer. It's a bad user experience. We know how much Apple care about user experience and Firefox overall and, and privacy topics of user information retention. So they were saying, okay, we stopped that. And because of that trend, Google has to follow because otherwise they are fear that people will switch from the Google-based environment to uh, the new environment of Firefox or Safari. Thank you. So 
the history really lies in the beginning of the internet in that case, right? And we simply did not move away for a technology which was intended for probably a you know less uh, less intrusive purpose. You work with customers day in and day out. What are you observing? Are they you know really worried about the end of the cookies? What are the options they are exploring? Or it's something which they are probably waiting for, you know, Google and Apple's and Firefox's of the world to find an answer to. Yeah, it, it, it very depends on the type of customer, to be honest. So there are customers that are not worried at all because they own their platform. So they do have the capability to retarget or to communicate with a customer without the third-party ecosystem of Google. Those type of uh, customers are very mature. They are the, the first one, the very advanced one. And then there are the ones that are more worried because they realize, you know, the dependency they have on Google and all of those partners. And they are now trying to force people to get there into this platform. So I'm thinking in the future, more and more websites are trying to get you logged in into the system to have a platform uh, so you can have a one-on-one relationship. So this mm-hmm. is the future, I think, for most of the customer. And there are those customers that fortunately or unfortunately are not very worried about this because they don't have time to be worried about this and they just hope Google will find it, will find an answer for this. There are some work uh, in design uh, related to uh, privacy API and uh, privacy service API and uh, the flock and all of this. And they don't have time or worry to spend their, their budget on advertising is not that big that it's a, it's an issue but still they are following up google lead and just hoping for the best and i think those are maybe the as we say the joy is in the blissful eye so it's it's very happy that they they are just following the lead from google right so so a wait and watch approach is what they're trying to do yeah you you mentioned something about flock right and i remember that there were some proposals like one of them was flock i think from google There have been proposals from publishers who want to share identifiers. I've also heard of data cooperatives as potential options where consumers come together and they sell their data and they want to make money out of them. And then that data can be used for segmentation. what What is your view on these kind of technologies or these kind of ideas? Do you think any of them have the potential to stick and replace cookies? It's it's very hard to say. I think it will be very hard to not count Google privacy sandbox uh, into the mix because it's Google and you are falsely locked to this kind of uh, big corporation. I mean, everyone has a Gmail account or everyone yeah, has a Google account at some point in time. So the flock was introduced as the first uh, system and then it has been replaced by this privacy sandbox approach, which by privacy is really not really the, the good term, I would say, but uh, it's, it's the way they, they name it now. And the approach is that the Google browser will take care of aggregating user by, by a topic. So it's called a topic uh, API. And then the ad when you want to do an ad, you ask your browser, which will be Google, and the Google will give you back three topics where you can display the three topics of the users. And that is okay you know, in a term that you do not have any way of what you want to say for that user, but Google is owning more, more of the data. So it's solving the problem of third-party cookies that they can, you can write anything from anyone and follow their data everywhere. But at the same time, it's giving more power to Google to select what you can see and what you can do and saving the data in the browser. So not per website, but they completely aggregate all the information. So we give them more power, which may actually be another concern that we have in the future. And you were talking about the other approach that 
aggregate of publishers are trying to do their own network. They try to own their communication channel. And that, I think, is the best approach you can have. But there is, it needs a critical size for your company. So you can do that when you have a specific yeah, website that is very famous or has a lot of views and a lot of uh, people coming and that can be clearly identified per topics. Then you can own the platform or own the communication channels and then distribute that into your own network. I think that approach is very, it's very good because it's very personalized. It can be well done because uh, no one knows best than the people that actually uh, work on those websites because Google is just, you need to think, Google cannot know everything. It just puts you into numbers so no one is looking at what you have seen, but they are just doing algorithm into that. So it will be better in this way with the second approach of publishers owning those platform and being able to offer that to advertiser. Uh, at the same time, it's a hard approach because they used to rely so much on SSP, so uh, service uh, supplies demand. Mm -hmm. So it, it's very hard to build that internally and natively into your ecosystem without third-party cookies. It needs to be advocated for. Yeah, the world has moved away from you know portal-based internet, right, for a long time ago. Yeah, exactly. Single publishers or group of publishers probably do not have that kind of power and influence today as they used to have. Yeah, and and, and we're living in a in a world we're going a bit off topic, but we're living in a world of uh, tech skills shortage and all those kind of new platforms. So now we are living in a world of platform. All of the new platform you want to build, they they are basically competing for the tech skills to to build that. It's not easy. It's not an easy job, and, and it's hard to find a group amount of people that can give that. Thank you. Um, what about companies like Apple or any other major players, like, for example, even Facebook? What are they doing? Yeah, that's a very good question again. So Apple is a very good example of how you should do it, but you need to have a critical size. So Apple is very well known for locking their users in their ecosystem and exactly what they are trying to apply here. So they are refusing everyone. So like they did in the App Store, they are trying to refuse everyone entering their market. So they own the data. And you know that the famous sentence that the data is a new oil, uh, they literally take it uh, at this and, uh, and try to get that as much as possible. I would not be surprised that Apple at some point start to either use that natively or offer that type of service in the future. So it's always, you need to think as good as they have an intent to have a consent, to respect the consent, it's a huge pile of money that is just lying around for them. And as soon as they have the opportunity or they see a bridge that they can use, you can be sure they're going to, to use that at some point. I mean, anyone would do just about, it's a public traded company. Right. And for Firefox, it's a bit different because it's an organization. So they are trying to, as much as possible, to follow the user intended behavior of a consent. And they are less, yeah, they are not very impacted by business on ad revenue, even if they have some interest into that. Uh, so I would be more relying on Firefox if you want to be on privacy. They are also uh, open source. So you can always find tools for ad blockers if you are very concerned about those, uh, those things. And then Facebook, the Facebook system is kind of the same from Apple, but cross-platform. So they are trying to lock in their user. Uh, so that's what is worrying people when Facebook is buying Instagram, WhatsApp, if they are trying to aggregate sorry, uh, all of the um, user data into one pool and personalize as much as possible, that will be worrying. Fortunately, normally the law cannot allow that, but you know, you always need to be stay, to stay on guard on this. And that, that's the way that Facebook approached that. So it's locking their user in their ecosystem and trying to, to nourish their uh, data collection system. Interesting. I mean, the way I see it is it is all still, you know, up for grabs, if I can say. But then 
at the same time, it looks like everybody's trying to build their own ecosystems and trying to capture this new fragmented market in such a way that allows them to lead or at least maintain their position, right? Um, I, I know that we are running short of time now. So I, I would ask you, what would you recommend customers today to do? And what is the kind of urgency they should have? What are the options which our customers can yeah. pick from? Yeah, then it's um, several polls uh, we can enter here. So first, I would recommend the, the customer to list the most important use cases they have on their website. Because the death of third-party cookies is relying to certain use cases. So if your company is not relying on them, then maybe you should not be that worried. So we didn't talk about, but there is all of those first-party cookie that will still be possible to have on the website. And they need we need to have them to actually make the website work. So if you're relying mostly on first-party cookies information for analysis and optimization on your website, then you should be less worried, but still you should have a look at what is going on because it's always interesting to see what the big players are doing. And then when we list down the use cases and you identify some use cases, try to find an ID, the capability that you can use, that you own and you can use for your use cases. So for retargeting right now, the main use cases that is going to disappear is that third-party cookie-based retargeting. And this will be replaced by people-based destination retargeting. So what's happening now, what's people-based destination is, is that you are logged into a platform. As I said, this is the step forward. Then for most of the company, you're logged in. Then we can grab, the company can grab your identifier that they're being used. They hash it. So it cannot be recognized by anyone, but then they can, they always use the same hash functionality. So it's a way to encrypt always in the same way. And we can exchange securely those hash values because they are just values that do not mean anything. And then we can basically retarget those people based on that hash value that are captured in the first place. So it it is kind of, uh, we know someone came and we know he did that and we want to retarget him through email or SMS. And then it's possible through that uh, hash. uh, But we don't know who it is exactly. We just know that that's someone and we can specify that someone. So this is the type of use case that can be solved if you can find an ID that can be used for that kind of use case. There are some use cases that before you wanted to do a um, very aggressive marketing operation on websites, this and, and find them and retarget them and just outside of sight of your, of your uh, data environment, that will be hard. That will be hard to maintain those kind of use cases and you need to know it now better so you can plan for that. You can reallocate budget on analysis, on more owning platforms than keep doing those kind of things that are going to disappear at some point. So try to get as less as dependency as you can from those revenue-generated uh, use cases. Interesting. Um, I mean, we we do t- we talked about how these options could work, but these are still around. Maybe I'll change the question. So my question would be: How is user consent and privacy still play into all of this? So it's uh, it will depend per type of platform. This is where it's getting it's getting better. It's getting more structured, but it's very hard to answer definitive. So I know at Adobe we have our own set of APIs that can delete the user from any solution we are providing to a company. And I can imagine this is going to happen on every type of platform that is being built. So this is the way the consent can be followed through for re- when you revoke consent and when you get accepted consent and these kind of things. And in the end, um, I'm guessing a lot of public 
organizations are actually tracking. I know some customer have been received some letters from lawyers because those, those public uh, organizations are tracking and checking that they are not tracked actually if they didn't give consent. So you can rely on those kind of public parties to do this kind of work for you, but always be careful of what you give as a consent. And unfortunately, I know it's not always possible. Like you cannot, most people cannot do without Facebook because oh, we have all our family abroad or all these kind of things. But be careful of what type of platform you're using because at the end, what they want to grab is your data. And remember that if, if it's free, it means that you are the product. So uh, be careful about that when you, when you give your consent. Thank you. So with this, I think I will we can close the topic and I will repeat your last sentence. If it's free, then probably you are the product. Um, I know, Julian, that the topic is still not over, right? The, the story is still being written and uh, perhaps we'll always come back. You know, we could always come back and talk a little bit more about this topic as the story develops. For now, I would want to thank you for your time and your your opinion around the topic of the cookie hype, which maybe it's not a hype. Uh, and with this, I would also want to thank our viewers and listeners for tuning into our podcast. Thank you very much. Until the next episode. Thank you. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let us know what you think by writing to us at infoacs at adobe.com. That's I-N-F-O-A-C-S at adobe.com. See you later for more.